Show season is on the go and I can't wait to share with you guys some of the tips and tricks that I've learned over the past couple of years why you and where you should be picking your next safari adventure. Also find out why the Transcar should be on anyone's safari bucket list. The Journal. Hunting is one of the best conservation tools we have. The Journal is a hunting podcast that covers the ethics, history and culture of hunting in Africa and South Africa alike. My name is Dylan Love, I'm the founder of PH Journals. My brand was created to spread awareness why hunting is one of the best conservation tools we have to offer. So if ethical and sustainable hunting is what you're looking for, well then you have come to the right place. Hey guys and finally welcome to the very first episode of 2023 the journal podcast for those of you that don't know me my name is Dylan Love I'm a professional hunter out of the Eastern Cape of South Africa recently just joined an outfitting company called Utando Safaris and I'm feeling extremely privileged to be a part of them as well as doing some a lot if not most of it some of my freelancing work across the dark continent I've been in this industry now for a little over 13 years and I'm here to share with you some of the tips and tricks on how to get by on your next safari adventure as well as asking and answering any questions you guys might have to just make your life a lot easier on when you're coming out on your next safari. So to get into it guys, it's been an incredible journey for the past couple of two years. Uh, Those of you that have followed me from leaving one outfitting company to kind of going on my own and doing a lot of freelance work it's been it really has been a very very special journey and one i'm very very fortunate of being a part of so to get into the swings of things swing of things sorry i'm catching my tongue here a little bit on this podcast but for 2023 uh, i just feel that we kicked the first episode off with a couple of things that i've Uh, stumbled across and come into and I feel that everyone that will be listening to this podcast going forward um, should know and would like to know a little bit more about my endeavors and where this leads PH journals going forward well to kick things off I'm extremely proud to have a couple of sponsors on board and I will be mentioning and touching a little bit on each one of them as we go along for the rest of the season and the first one this year that I'm going to touch on and a very, very special one, very close to my heart, is Scully's. It's a team from Port Elizabeth that 3D scans skulls, original skulls, um, and transforms them into 3D resin prints such as these. I don't know if you can see it, if the light's not too glary. If you're watching this on YouTube, um, these are wonderful scaled models of actual skulls that have either been picked up, shot, hunted, or ethically killed out in the bush. Um, they range from the spiraled horn slam, big five. Uh, there's a couple of species that are going to be launched from the tiny 10 to the springbuck. Um, just everything across the board. It's just so, so exciting to see the scope that these guys are stretching it. And the education behind it is, is just really, really awe-inspiring. So to the team from Scully's, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this. And for me to touch base with you guys on how I am affiliated with Scully's is that every purchase you do through my link, um, 
a certain portion will be donated to the podcast, which allows me to keep doing what I love doing, and that's podcasting, hunting, and professional hunting, and spreading the word why hunting is our best conservation tool we have to offer. So not only will you be giving back to conservation, you'll be giving back to this wonderful podcast that just spreads awareness across the whole world. For those of you that have been following me, thank you so much. This is greatly appreciated. And if you guys would like to get involved or find out more, you guys are more than welcome to hit me up on any one of my social media platforms or head along to any one of my social media platforms. Head along to the link in the bios. I'll tag the link down below on the YouTube episode. Unfortunately, I can't do this with all the all the podcasting episodes. But if you guys would like to find out more, head, in, head along to those links. Remember, every purchase through that link will be donated or contributed towards the ph journal podcast as well as conservation so i'm extremely proud to be affiliated with these guys and i look forward to the future this is just the start of something extremely special going forward and i can't wait to share the rest of the journey with you guys well guys now that that's out the way once again incredibly proud to be a part of the wonderful team Show season is on the go, and unfortunately this year, fortunately actually, not unfortunately, fortunately um, I could not get down to Dallas, and the reason for that is I had a very, very special hunt down on the Port Alfred coastline, the, the western coast of the Eastern Cape, um, where we embarked on Charlie Daly's very first attempt at a blue darker, and as well as an Oribe. Those of you that know Oribe are extremely tough permits to get, especially in the Eastern Cape. So to harvest or to get, get your opportunity on Oribe is something very, very special. So I, I hosted Charlie um, down on the, the West Coast. We had an extremely successful hunt. Um, we sat in the blind the first night, the first day. We got in there a little bit later than I would have liked. This is for the Blue Darker sitting over a watering hole. Um, we knew that there were there was a pair of blue darker coming in, a nice female as well as a nice ram, um, and we got in there in the morning a little bit too late um, with no action whatsoever. We saw some beautiful nice in the Learys, that was about it. And then after that, we um, headed back, grabbed a bite to eat, and I just said to Charlie, I said, for our best chance, we're going to have to head out there in the early afternoon um, to try and set it out and hopefully grab ourselves a very, very, very nice blue darker. So, which we duly did, and as time passed, we, the breeze kind of started relaxing the both of us. And as we started settling more and more down into the blind and getting a little bit more comfortable, um, knowing that maybe our time has kind of run out, dusk started to settle in. So around about, I think it was 17.55, this beautiful ram came trotting up to the watering trough <coughs> or the watering hole. And uh, Charlie placed the most perfect shot you could ever place on a tiny 10 animal. And yeah, the rest is history. I can't wait to share the YouTube episode with you guys. Unfortunately, this I was the cameraman on this, so there's not a lot of it. But uh, really, really quality footage. And I can't wait to share with you guys a special hunt. Very, very special hunt. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time coming. And the next day we headed out. Remember, we're hunting in January now, so the scorching heat. So we try to tackle the early morning, late evening uh, type of hunting, which kind of settles in on this 
these sort of types of hunts. Um, and as time went on, the morning dragged a little bit. And finally, um, towards just uh, yet again, just before we were about to call it a call it a morning, um, this beautiful Oroby ram sticks his head out. The thing about the Oroby and hunting, especially down on the western coast of the Eastern Cape, is that the management down there has been so important to the success of these species and and we got to pay due respect to that so when we're hunting these sort of species we're highlighting and analyzing um breeding herds breeding patterns breeding rams for specific groups so ideally we're not looking for size we're looking for the old ram yeah it's well past his prime and really just something that can't contribute to the conservation of these wonderful species going forward and which we truly did charlie just happened to be in the right place at the right time with this ram not only was he old he had some mass and beautiful size to him and just uh, yet again another incredible animal and the backdrop to set it all off with the the um the i've lost my train of thought now uh, the indian ocean sorry in the background beautiful blue color nice crystal clear day it was absolutely amazing and an experience i hold very close to my heart for for a very very long time not only is it a special thing to hunt one of these probably one of the most successful conservation stories in the eastern cape um but to share that with somebody that appreciates it as much as what i do is something very very special and i i look forward to to doing a lot more of that fortunately i've got another permit for this year so i'm looking for any takers out there that would love to hunt an oroby and have got space this season pop me a message hit me up and uh, i've got one permit for this season come down let's make a let's make a memorable remember without you guys hunting these animals the hunting dollar doesn't do what it's intended to do and that's preserve and conserve these wonderful animals we fought so hard to forget to to protect so yeah guys at the end of the day um the reason for me mentioning this was not only the fact that we had an incredible time but obviously i missed uh dallas safari club which which is the first time i've missed other than COVID year in the past six years. So um, no, longer than that, probably past eight years, which is is hard to fathom. And it's hard not packing my bags to jet set off over to, to the Northern Hemisphere. But um, in the same breath, it was all worthwhile. With saying that, Nashville's coming up, and there's been a couple of shot shows in, in between Harrisburg. Um, I know Houston's just passed. What are, the, what are some of the things that you guys need to look out for um, when preparing yourself? If this is your first safari or if you are planning to go um, on a safari, what sort of when, when arriving at these booths, and I've done many podcasts on this, but I just feel that being the season it is it's only fair to start it off with with a brand new way of doing things um <clears throat> so firstly picking out an outfitting company i mean last time i was there walking around the shows there's there's hundreds hundreds of, of african outfitters out there that you guys get to choose from and it's it's pretty cool to see that you know not only is the industry growing in my country but the the interest from the northern hemisphere is growing just as much so 
<clears throat> Firstly, you need to ask yourself probably one of the most important questions there is. Who and why um, would you want to go with these guys? Do they uphold um, morals, values of our hunting tradition? Because, guys, remember, not only by you contributing financially to the hunting and preserving and conserving of these animals, but it's the morals and ethics that we've got to stand together with as hunters. Because, unfortunately, in the industry that we're involved in, there are a lot of chance takers out there. And I know this from um, a safari point of view is that there's a lot of guys that are out there to take, they get greedy. They want money. Uh, they want quick turnaround times. They don't care what size trophy, what sort of conservation patterns you're getting out there. And this doesn't leave it good for us as a hunting organization that's trying to protect our rights to hunt these animals and ultimately look after these species. So you as the hunter, you that are going to be spending your hard-earned money coming out here and dedicating it uh, to conservation, you need to ask yourself these questions. And of course, if you feel that... Um, by any means that that these guys uphold the standards the morals and values that you stand for as a hunter by all means these are the questions i would highly suggest you answer but bef before we get into that first i just wanted to um there was a question that was asked to me and i'm going back a couple of months now just before the december holiday it was a question that was asked to me uh, about this whole free range thing and I've done a podcast on it, why free-range hunting shouldn't be called free-range hunting. At the end of the day, you're going to see guys out there at these shows advertising these things. And it is a sales point. And that's, that's a very unfortunate thing for me to say. And I actually hate saying it. But it is a sales point for a lot of outfitters out there that have got access to low-fence farms and low-fence ranges and conservancies and, um, you know, all these sort of things that benefit them. And ultimately... We've built up the stigma of free-range hunting. It's not really free-range hunting. Um, if you look at some of the species, far ribback seldomly jump a fence. So that's not free-range hunting. Springback seldomly jump a fence. That's not free-range hunting. Ultimately, though, it is still hunting. But let's not call it that. Let's not call it free-range. Because nothing in South Africa, according to my opinion is ever free range but as most of it if not 85 percent of all hunting that gets done here is fair chase and that's the difference that's what you need to look for the minute somebody is advertising free range hunting you guys have to ask the question on why are they advertising it as such is it they're trying to get you over there because it's nice to say free range hunting there's no half fence i promise you now if you bring them a package, whether it's got blue wildebeestine or any other plains game animals, other than animals like Inyala, Impala, Bushback, um, Warthogs, the list can go on. Those animals that are kind of found free, free range, that roam freely around conservancies, parks, wherever the case may be, uh, farms, <clears throat> 
ask the question, where will you be shooting the blue wildebeest? Where will you be shooting your black wildebeest? Where will you be shooting your gemsbuck? All those sort of things. And really just start putting the hammer to these outfitters that believe that by them giving you a fake sales gimmick is actually working. And that's just honestly my personal opinion about it. Um, I don't like the word free range. Fair chase for me is a lot better way of saying things because you and I both know that when it comes to free range, <laughs> the word gets skewed a hell of a lot. So yeah, that's just to clear that up. And then questions to ask. So probably some of the most important questions to ask is number one, your taxidermy. Where's your taxidermy getting done? How is it getting handled? Are you dipping and packing, shipping, all these things, etc. What I found, and, and the reason why I've bought Taxidermy app right at the top, is what I found over the past couple of years, it's, become, it's becoming more and more important to understand the, the actual hunter, to understand the process, not the process of when the trophy is getting dipped and packed or mounted, but the process thereafter, the crating, the shipping, the shipping agencies, all those guys that are involved because unfortunately unfortunately when it comes to the outfitter and the taxidermy communication there's a lot of hidden costs that don't get mentioned when initiating the actual hunt and what i mean by this is that when you arrive to the booth it looks all wonderful over there there's pictures there's heads hanging up um you're really getting brought into the whole fact of that you know what yeah i would love to shoot a buffalo i would love to shoot a sable that's a beautiful kudu i would love to shoot that but at the end of the day you ask a simple question okay so my package is seven and a half thousand dollars this 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 and this included there's no hidden cost the outfitter will say to you there's no hidden cost whatsoever however once those trophies get mounted thereafter not the hidden costs but the costs start accumulating that you were not aware of. So find out the process. Guys, there's taxidermies all over those shows. Uh, the guys from Splitting Image, I know they go to most of the shows. Hit them up. Find out. Find out more about how their shipping goes and, and what is constituted from once the trophies are mounted. Because they can also give you a scratch... Um, uh, price list and say guys listen okay this is how much it is for kudu shoulder mount thereafter you actually don't know what sort of hidden costs not let me rephrase that they're not hidden costs but you don't know the costing of what goes on so it's an important question to ask and i know it's not always the guy's first intention to ask those sort of questions but once you get that out the way the rest of your hunt planning and the rest of the way you consume information coming in from that booth is a lot easier because the guy is going to be skeptical and say, okay, listen, he's aware of these costs. Let's do a deal. And that's just my personal opinion. I could be wrong on it, but after being at these shows for the past eight or nine years, that's what I've understood. People love to get a deal based on what they see. And when it actually comes down to crunch time, when they arrive in South Africa, they leave South Africa and the taxidermy starts coming in. Well, then the nitty gritty starts and then they start puzzling things together. Well, you know, that South African trip of mine didn't actually cost me seven and a half thousand dollars. It was 
a little bit more, which is understandable. And I'm sure a lot of the guys out there anticipate that it would cost more. But get those, get those nitty gritties, get the ugly questions out the way. So taxidermy, that's the first one. Ask those questions. Ask the hard questions. Don't be afraid to. And by asking the hard questions, it's also going to put your your outfitter that you've chosen or number of outfitters you've chosen under the gun and make them understand why and and make them feel like you actually know what you're talking about. Um, species on the actual property. Where is their base? How many species are they running on the property? What is their conservation programs? The problem with this is, is that over the past couple of years, South Africa has run into an issue where there's not a lot of farms out there that are doing the breeding stocks anymore. And therefore, um, a lot of game farms have actually physically got to go out there and manage their herds accordingly. Now, for me as a professional hunter, as well as an outfitter, going out there and seeing an animal run around with a red tag in its ear and knowing that that is the creme de la creme walking around there and you can't put a bullet in it um, for conservation purposes because it's breeding stock is not something it takes away a lot away from the experience. So be careful about that. Ask the questions, how many species are on the property? What are the herd numbers looking like? How many hunters, this is important, how many hunters can the camp um, accommodate at any given time? The reason for this is, is that if a camp can hold more than five to seven hunters, I feel that you would need to hunt at least, at least out of 100 to 200,000 acres of property. And the problem about that is, is that not a lot of game farmers do that. So if guys are saying to you, no, well, we can accommodate eight to 10 hunters at any given time, there's two things that this means. Is number one, they stock in their farms on a regular basis. And number two, there's a lot of traveling involved. If there aren't any of those species on the property, you will be traveling a lot. The traveling for me is not a bad thing because you get to see the sites and, and scenes of South Africa across. A lot of people don't like it, but for me personally, I think it's a wonderful adventure. If I can't get specific species at my base where I'm based out of and I've got to travel, I make it part of the safari experience by sharing different cultures and um, educating my clients on what sort of towns are we passing, why this is rich in this sort of habitat, the vegetation, the bird life, that sort of stuff. Because at the end of the day, that's what your PH is trained to do. He's trained not only to guide you on the correct animals, but share his knowledge across, across the whole platform. And if he's not doing that, he's taking away a little bit of your experience out of South Africa. So, yeah, ask the question, how many hunters in camp? One of the most important questions for me, especially, is who is my pH and why? And the reason why I say this... Sorry. Hmm. <laughs> sorry. I had, a, I had a bit of coffee stuck on my mug um <laughs> so those of you that were watching on youtube i do apologize <laughs> anyway um, 
ask your ask your outfitter who's your ph and the reason for this is that you can go back 90 no, no i mustn't say that a large percentage of all those phs have actually got our own social media platforms where we will be advertising our skills our passion and our our techniques on these social media platforms so therefore by you as the hunter knowing exactly who your ph will be you get to go back do a little bit of research and actually understand before you arrive in south africa whether you will click with this individual or not because unfortunately or fortunately for me fortunately because i love meeting new people i love understanding i love interacting with some wonderful guys out there but it's a relationship that you build off and from scratch in a seven, five, seven, 10, 14 day period, you're stuck with this individual every single day and he's dictating to you what were the plans of action going forward for the next couple of days. So by you anticipating, by you building yourself up and understanding where this individual is coming from by watching a lot of his YouTube videos, if he has that, Facebook, Instagram, all these sort of things, it also allows you to get a better understanding of what you are in for as far as a professional hunter. It also teaches you a lot of um, tips, tricks, and techniques that that specific pH uses in the bush. Um, I know there's a lot of PHs out there that enjoy the long distance shooting all the way. Just even things as simple as how they put up their shooting sticks so that you get the opportunity three, four months before you come out on a safari to actually see, okay, my PH puts these sticks out this way. Let's practice. And I know this maybe sounds ridiculous. For those of you that have been coming out to South Africa for years and years and years and Touch wood, never had a bad experience with the pH. There's a large percentage of guys that have. And the reason is because a lot of the guys on day three or four actually get frustrated with one another because the certain techniques haven't been followed and the hunters start slipping into bad habits as well as the professional hunters. If there's some sort of understanding, those days become a lot easier. And at some point in the hunt, you can say, you know what? John or Yaku or whoever it is today let's just take the morning off and we'll carry on in the afternoon to give you guys that break of space and understanding and then kick it off as a fresh start going forward and guys I mean this and I know this probably sounds very irrelevant to a lot of people that have been into the South African or African continent before hunting and have had a great time but I know there's a lot percentage of you out there that have had bad experiences with particular PHs and outfitters. Getting involved in one another's personal space is very, very difficult, but it can be extremely rewarding at the same time. So ask the question who your professional hunter will be and do your research. With today's day and age, there's no excuse for us not to do any sort of research on one another. I mean, if our... If I know I'm getting a specific hunter months before the time, I would either hit him up on social media and I'll chat to him, find out a little bit of questions. And as well as a professional hunter that helps me, whether I can drive with snacks in the truck, I can bring my dog on and he doesn't get annoyed or, you know, these sort of things that just make the trip a whole lot more pleasant and enjoyable going forward. I'm an easy guy to get along well with. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But 
relatively most professional hunters they do want a nice tip they do want to please you they do want to look after you so most of the time you know they're going, they're going to bend over backwards to make sure that you have an unforgettable trip unfortunately there's high tense situations especially with hard hunting uh, hard species to hunt and all that sort of stuff and it does create a little bit of tension and this will just create an easier way for you to bypass that tension and have a better understanding of your professional hunter climate and best time of the year so Actually, I wrote a blog about this and you can find it on, on my social media or on my website, www.phjournals.com, um, about hunting in summer. I did a hunt two years ago um, and obviously now just recently in January um, and I found it was a wonderful time of year to hunt. Unfortunately, there are a lot of species that are dropping babies and, uh, you know, the cycle is there and people will query whether it's ethical or not to hunt selective hunting is always going to be key this time of the year the winter is hard on our animals and the summer is not so harsh however however the older weaker animals do get absorbed by parasites and other predators and things that go on so if you want to look at it from that way, there is some sort of aspect as far as conservation is concerned. But have a look. You know, there's the warthog rat that comes in in April as well as the kudu. There's a fellow deer that, you know, in our parts of the area are, are early March, late, you know, er, sorry, early April, late March, um, where we really really want to start setting people up. So if you want a nice fellow deer, you know, late late March, early April, that's where you want to be when the when the rat starts kicking in. Kudu later, um, warthog late in April. <clears throat> so just find out those basic informations, and they will be able to assist you going forward on when they when they recommend. Obviously, be careful of falling into the trap of when they just want to slot you in wherever they can or wherever they've got an open space. If you have certain species that you have understood that a certain time of the year is better for them to hunt and they want to slot you in for instance if you want to shoot a kudu and they want to slot you in in, in september it's not going to work don't do it that way rather wait another season come out and if you really want to ask kudu make sure that you book for the right month so very very simple climate obviously um how hot is it going to be in camp? Uh, what are the coolest temperatures? Just so that you can just pack your gear a whole lot easier. Um, I will have gear recommendations coming up on my website soon. So if you would like to find out more as the podcast goes on uh, next season or this season, sorry, um, I will be posting more tips and tricks that you guys can actually go onto my website, download and utilize when you come out on your next safari. Make sure that you highlight your bucket list species and why I say this is that because um, these guys will also have the opportunity, for instance, a lot of species take a lot of preparation to actually plan a hunt. For instance, this this last hunt I was on, the blue darker Oribe, it just didn't happen in a couple of days. It actually took me two, three, four, five, even five months 
to plan these sort of things. You know, you've got to set up watering holes, you've got to set up blinds, you've got to make sure that everything is right in order. These clients are coming out here, you guys are coming out here as hunters to spend good money with us. And it's only fair for us to have a fair amount of time that we can prepare to have the best possible experience and best possible chance for you to harvest or to shoot or to hunt your best your bucket list animal so make sure that that's that's a priority i know there's a lot of guys that go out there um and they highlight that <clears throat> we want a 50 inch kudu we want, I, i'm i'm not advocating for those people i don't like that i don't think that's that's fair hunting um but at the end of the day there is a place for it in the industry i like the people that come out there and say dylan i want to cape grace back I've got enough time to prepare for that Cape Craigsback, make sure that all my permits are in place, make sure that all the um, the right paperwork's in place. So once those clients get you, especially with the Bontebok, I see now, I'm not sure if they've been removed of CITES, but make sure that the paperwork's in order. So once you get you, it's a hassle-free planning. You don't have to worry about paperwork. You don't have to worry about contacting US Fish and Wildlife and getting all these things um, in tuned. So, just make sure that you highlight your top priority animals as well as your bucket list animals that you would like to take on that safari. And then last one. <laughs> I'm going to do a full podcast on this because I think the last one I did got extremely positive feedback out of it and I was super proud of how it was received. But deposits and tips. Okay. Arriving at the destination, well, arriving at the booth, make sure that when these guys are asking for deposits, that it's all legit. Don't just pay your deposit willy-nilly uh, in order for you to book a spot. Make sure that you do your homework before. Ask these questions. Go back. If you are fortunate enough to spend two or three days at the show, that you get to ask many more questions make sure that your deposit is always the last thing you pay at the end of the day and the reason why i say this is that things change individuals make promises and i'm not talking about everyone i'm talking about a very very small minority and some people listening to this podcast or watching this on youtube might be a part of that small minority that will get taken for right guys please do thorough homework when it comes to individuals out there it is not the industry is flooded with people that are trying to make a quick buck with people that are trying to screw other ones over and they're not there for the good of conservation for the good of the species and for the good of the hunter so just make sure by the time you're ready to pay a deposit that you've asked you've done your homework and you feel in your gut that this is the correct individual that you would like to go for and remember be very very conscious on the percentage of deposit you have to pay anything over 50 percent starts getting a little bit suspicious in my personal opinion i'm not saying that everyone's like that but in my personal opinion over 50 percent deposit is very very suspicious so just keep your eyes out for that tips <coughs> I will 
I'll most definitely do a full podcast on this. But guys, remember, tips is not is not a given. You don't have to give tips. Um, it's become customary in in the hunting industry that tips are, are a must give, um, but it's not. Really, just understand that if you're a professional hunter and your trackers have broken their back for you and really put in the effort, that you reward them with a well-deserved tip. Professional hunters can earn anywhere between $120 to $150 on planes game animals and obviously dangerous game. It increases from about $150 to $200 per day. Trackers are anywhere from $25 to $50 depending on the workload that they actually get given. And the reason why I say this is that put this stuff on a sliding scale. It gives you room to play around with. And it gives you room to understand what your professional hunter and your trackers have been through to make your experience unforgettable. I will touch on this on a full length podcast because I feel like it's probably one of the most important questions that get asked in the industry. And since I did this podcast about tips about four years ago, times have changed, situations have changed, our economy's changed. And I will be doing a revised episode on this Um in the next couple of weeks or so and that's it guys show season's upon us nashville's coming up i'm sure harrisburg is coming up as well um there's a couple of other ones seattle salt lake all those ones get involved get out there ask the questions and if you guys need any advice if you had if you are at the shows and you would like you know any input i'm just going to be completely honest I'm backing no outfitting company. I'm backing, I'm not endorsed by anyone out there in the shows. I will gladly give you my honest opinion about how to go forward with certain questions that have been asked and answered in specific ways. So if you guys would like any help, please feel free to hit me up on any one of my social media platforms. I'm running my social media, so it's me that's answering. And I will gladly try and help you guys where I can. Well, guys, we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I just wanted to touch base. I did mention it right at the start. <clears throat> Why should you guys come out to the Transcar um, on your next safari adventure? If you're looking for fishing, if you're looking for a different getaway, the Transcar is inherited, is in, how did I say that? The Transcar is riddled with rich history um, of wars, um, of great fishing, uh, and just people living off the land. And I can tell you now, by spending a couple of weeks down there now in the past festive season, it's becoming more and more re relevant that these people actually need, and a lot of guys haven't actually experienced that rural part of South Africa. The Transcar was developed back in the apartheid regime where it actually was its own separate country. Uh, it had its own presidents, and a lot of the communities now still live off chief um, and hierarchy um, processes in the actual villages. It's extremely rural with limited electricity, limited water. It's really just a wonderful way to see how people actually live off the land. There's a lot of subsistence farming out there, as well as fishing. Um, and it gives you an opportunity to go out there, experience different cultures, see what is actually part, a rich, rich part 
of our South African economy as well as our South African heritage. And I highly recommend that if you guys are coming out, you need to spend nothing less than five days out in the Transkei. There's some beautiful resorts along the way. There's Wavecrest, Mazeppa Bay, Cobbin, <clears throat> and the list goes on from Coffee Bay right up to the Port Shepston area. Um, by all means, I would highly, highly, highly recommend that um, you guys give that a shot and give it a go and just really embrace that a little bit and understand where it comes from. And um, it's really, it's a, it's a fun part of the country. It really is. Well, guys, first episode in the bag. I'm super stoked. Those of you that can see, finally, I get my... Um, my studio space it doesn't look like much just yet but i can't wait to share with you guys how it's going to look at the end of the podcasting season it's still a lot of work a lot of shelving to go up uh, i'm super excited it just gives me room to have my setup i can walk in at any time do my podcast as well as pack it up when i need to travel along and have a couple of guests as soon as our government and my municipality plays ball with our electricity I'm excited to have a lot of guests and we'll be doing Skype interviews. Suited well, I hope you're ready for me because our long-awaited podcast, <laughs> Cries of the Savannah, I hope is coming up soon. And as soon as everything starts working and our government decides to get its act together, you will be the first person I'm calling. From myself, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and you're watching it on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button, turn on the notifications, and if you enjoyed it, drop me a thumbs up and share it with as many people as possible. It will be greatly appreciated. For those of you that are listening to this on the podcast, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to chat like this. And if you guys have got any suggestions, or if you guys would like to be a part of the podcast, please hit me up. I would love to have as many of the hunting or outdoor enthusiasts on you as possible. 2023, it's our year. I'm looking forward to it. So if you are, happy hunting. Until then, stay safe, stay blessed, stay humble. We'll catch up with you guys soon. Cheers for now.